Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me is a very special guest. We have, straight from the forests of North America, the baby Yeti himself. That was my Yeti impression. Was it good? So, so I, we we need to talk about <laughs> we need to talk about your nipples. Um, <laughs> that's a way to start a conversation yeah. with somebody. It's like, look, <laughs> we need to have we need to have a conversation about your nipples. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've got mine right here. Um, it's a, this is a reference to uh, when I was on Monster Island Film Vault. My microphone, it's a blue Yeti, so I call it my Yeti nipple because of the little uh, the little thing on top. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, that, I got a blue I got a blue Yeti too, so we got two two blue Yeti nipples. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> mm. I, I, okay. Uh, anyway, Elijah is with me this week. Oh God! And for anybody I... who is anybody who is new to the podcast, I'm sorry <laughs> for that for that little bit there at the beginning. Um, but uh, <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, because there might be some people who do not know who you are or your connection to Yeti nipples. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry that. I... I just got a really bad image in my head. <laughs> Hi, I'm Elijah. Um, I do have a Blue Yeti nipple microphone. Uh, so I am the host that's currently on break uh, of the Kaiju Conversation podcast. Um, this is actually, I haven't recorded in like two months. So like this is the only podcast I've been on. So this is actually really cool. I I wasn't I didn't even think I was going to be able to record on in October. So this is great. Um, but I host that podcast. I write for Kaiju Roman Magazine. Um, I formerly wrote for GodzillaMovies.com. I uh, run a, a very dead YouTube channel called ET Thirteen Productions. And uh, I'm currently working on a theatrical play uh, adaptation of Little Shop of Horrors and another uh, project I haven't announced quite just yet. So yeah. I'm doing quite a bit. So, yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you're, I would love, I wish that we lived closer together because I would love to go and see the production that you are involved in for Little Shop of Horrors. Because I've never actually seen Little Shop of Horrors on stage, uh, performed on stage. I've only mm -hmm. ever seen the movie. Uh, so I really, really would love to see that. And I, I just would love to. So if, if we lived closer together, I would, I would be there to see it. But we don't. <laughs> Yeah, I, vacation, vacation, November, second week in November, take a vacay. Vacation, what is that? I don't know what that word means. Uh, <laughs> that word is foreign. It's vacation. 
Vakasha. I don't even know how. I can't even say it. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of <laughs> vacations, uh, I am back. I took a break from the podcast for a couple of weeks uh, because lots of stuff have been happening in my real life. And podcasting has kind of had to suffer some. It's not that I don't enjoy doing the podcast, but just real life stuff kind of takes a priority. Um, and this week I'm back, but Michael is gone. Michael is gone out of town on a little mini vacation. And that is why Elijah has joined me. Yeah. So I always get Michael's second, uh, second, uh, his sloppy second. My brain just yeah, his sloppy seconds, exactly. <laughs> uh, that is not any way to talk about me. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, Wait, what? Oh. <laughs> just, uh, and you also have a very long-running, well, long-running, quote-unquote, feud with another frequent guest on the podcast, uh, Nathan Marchand, on who can guest on this podcast the most. Uh, and I think right now with this episode, you're you're in the lead aren't you i i I was thinking about that because i know he was on he came on with michael for that one actually i i don't know who's winning right now i Mm -hmm. i'd like to think that it's me (laughs) because clearly i should be the one winning and obviously you care um, the most about this because you're the one keeping track of this so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I am like all in. I I actually have a uh, a Google Doc that is specifically for this. Um, I thought you were going to so say you have a picture I, I, of Nathan I, on your wall and there's like darts stuck <laughs> in it. Um. <laughs> you didn't let me finish. <laughs> oh man. No, I, I actually don't know. I have lost track a long time ago of who, which one of y'all have been on here the most. But uh, yeah, you guys are our kind of go-to whenever something comes up last minute because you guys are usually always up to to fill in for us. So, uh, And we thank you for that. Well, we love you so much. And we want to make sure that we can uh, get on. I mean, obviously Nathan's here and he likes to do his shameless promotions. I'm just here because of the the amazing uh, hospitality. Yeah, and uh, I was I thought you were going to say the amazing content. So I was like, hey, that's a good transition. Um, speaking of amazing uh, content, hospitality, uh, <laughs> let's get into the content of this episode. I have no good transition. So, so we're going to cue the beady beady. Cue the beady beady. <laughs> it sounds like cousin it. That's <laughs> funny. Is that was the sound I used for a turkey I did for a short <laughs> recently, and I just thought, oh my god, I, I... <laughs> cue the the oh, turkey god. turkey. Gobble gobble gobble. Okay, so uh, yeah, we have a lot of news to cover, and uh, this episode might run a little long, just giving everybody a heads up, sorry about that, but we've got a lot of news to cover, we've got a really awesome movie we're going to talk about, and then we've got some mailbag to cover, so let's get into it. Um, We had some drama that happened over the weekend, or no, over the week, uh, between Subaraya Productions 
and this what which uh what game is it elevated games elevated games uh, yeah yeah uh, over this uh mobile game called kaiju combat now mm-hmm. until all of this stuff happened i had no idea about any of this stuff like i really was completely out of the loop on this um but apparently elevated games had gotten the license for this game kaiju combat that included some uh well-known kaiju and some of the ultraman from Subaraya's ultraman franchise they were going to include it in this this uh mobile game and then they decided to do nft tokens or nfts as like tokens that you can purchase Mm -hmm. on this now again this stuff completely flew over my head i had no idea what an nft was until i started looking into this um but an nft is a non-fungible token which Mm -hmm. is a a specific type of image or 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 some kind of file that I, I don't know. I don't under, I don't understand the full like stuff with NFTs, but I do know that it's supposed to use more electricity and more energy because of the amount of uh, of what ha- how it's like processed, and because of that, it actually is bad for the environment. These NFTs have an environmental impact, and so a lot of people, understandably, are very upset about the idea in, of NFTs in general, like they're a very controversial thing to begin with. So the idea of elevated games doing NFTs of Ultraman characters was already a controversial thing, apparently. And then it became even more criticized when the head of elevated games kind of blew it off and kind of dismissed it uh, and, you know, didn't really uh, treat it very seriously. And then Subaraya got involved because Subaraya said in the contract that Elevated Games had signed, it included a part about not producing NFTs for them to sell. And they violated that and they warned Elevated Games about this. Elevated Games continued to do it. And so officially, Subaraya has now broken off all relationships with Ele- Elevated Games, and this project has been just, what, ended or, or shut down? So, yeah, I'm gonna maybe. Let you, you talk, because yeah. you probably know more about this stuff than I do. I just kind of wanted to give a bare bones from where I was coming from, what I understood. Now, yeah, here's... Let somebody who seems to know more about this talk. <laughs> so I've known about Kaiju Combat for, I think it's been around officially for a year. Um, when it initially launched um, to promote it, they started the social media sites, which have become controversial because of some very poor uh, PR rep. Um, the account has gotten recently with uh, joking around with people about taking their art and using it as NFTs. Um, But about a year ago, I got contacted by somebody about 
promoting their Discord server because they actually launched a Discord server. Um, little did I uh, know, and I would eventually find out that Subaraya was contacted about all this. And actually, my Discord server was used as a reference for why they should do a Discord community. So that was pretty cool. Um, so I'm, I'm friends with the guy who runs the server. Um, and when this all went down, it's like, okay, this is a little weird. Let me, let me go on here and, and see what I can dig up. Um, so you ran down the, essentially all the stuff that led up to it. Um, now, according to what my friend knows in the contract, it stated that they were allowed to sell NFTs. Because uh, the contract was back in like 2018 and it was an already agreed thing. However, Subaraya now claims that that was never a part of the deal. So, and how it was described to me was there is a miscommunication between that, which they are currently talking, both, both sides are talking to each other, trying to figure out what is up. Okay. Um, it's. Um, it's a disaster. <laughs> like, yeah, to to because and and a friend of mine asked, and I I basically explained it like this: this was Super Raya's first time really licensing with other people again after the whole Chayo thing, and you know they did the Mill Creek thing, they've done the Marvel thing, they did the Elevated Games thing. There's more in the works stuff coming out and all that and it was working but now on both the mill creek side and this side we're starting to see super raya kind of has made some missteps along the way with the dvd releases instead of blu-rays and now this whole nft situation um i think this is just another example of how super raya is still working its way to the west um they started off strong and Maybe they got a little little lazy on how they were doing things, and now we're we're in this situation. The good news is, I don't think anything bad will happen. Um, I think what will end up happening is is uh, either they will agree to do the NFT thing, which they'll they probably will either have to pay a fine or something along those lines, Elevator or Subaraya will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, or what they might do, and Subaraya very well could do this, um, pull a Chayo, say, you're stealing our characters, we're going to revoke your contract, we'll pay the fine to get out of the contract, we will then take, because they legally can at this point because it is not officially licensed and Subaraya can uh, copyright claim it, um, they will take from everybody who has spent money on these NFTs, they will take their NFTs from them and gain ownership. Th those are really the three options I think they have, is working it out. Figure, uh, well, two, I guess, two options, two or three. Um, yeah, so, so the discourse that I have seen online over the the announcement that Subaraya has has is now taking action against elevated games because of their 
what they're calling uh, multiple contract violations involving the unauthorized sale of Ultraman and Ultraman series NFTs. The discourse that I have seen online has been around the idea of the NFTs and the fact that they're shutting this, you know, if they, if they do shut this down, that that's a win for the side of the people who are, you know, very against NFTs because of the environmental impact that they have. And Mm -hmm. so that's, that's what I have seen. I've seen like, Oh, this is a victory for people who are against NFTs. But the more I have dug into this, the more I have realized. And I think this is important. If you are a listener who is feeling that way of like, yay, you know, the, the NFTs are being shut down by Superaya. Superaya saying, yes, uh, no NFTs. No, that is not what Superaya is saying. Superaya themselves have actually put out officially licensed NFTs uh, themselves and are willing to sell NFTs. It's just that apparently what Superaya is the 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 disagreement is whether a third party can sell nfts of subaraya's characters or not and was that in the contract was that included in the contract it was the contract vague enough that they could get away with it or not get away with it that's the argument the argument isn't against nfts from subaraya's point of view it's more of like if you sell NFTs, you earn that money. We're not making that money. We don't like that. So we're going to put a stop to that until we can figure out whether it's an actual contract violation or not. Um, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to put that out there because I have seen a lot of the, the like, the, like I said, the discourse being this is a victory of anti-NFT, you know, the anti-NFT stance. And it's like, no, it's not. No, it's not. Because Superi is a big company. They don't care about environmental impact of nfts they don't care about that kind of stuff they care about money and they have definitely shown that they are pro nfts just like toho has done nfts Mm -hmm. so you know i again the whole nft thing kind of goes over my head i don't fully understand it so if someone wants to explain it in a dumbed down kind of way to me to where I can be more knowledgeable coming into the podcast when we start, if we, if this comes up again, or if we talk about this story as it unfolds, uh, email me, email me kaijuweekly at gmail.com. Explain it to me because that would be great. But I do know, I know it has, I know that NFTs have some kind of environmental impact, negative environmental impact. I don't fully understand how or why, um, and so that's, that's where I know I kind of get the basic idea and the gist of it, but I've never really, it's always gone over my head whenever I've tried to look into it. So, um, somebody yeah. can email me and explain it a little bit better to me, but this, this is kind of a, this is big news. It's big news in the community. It's also like Elijah said, like you said, it is, um, it might have a bigger impact on like the licensing deals that Superaya gets into in the future uh, and how mm-hmm. they approach their licensing deals moving forward. So it's not, it, it is something that can impact the wider kind of tokusatsu community. Yeah. And, and I'm in the same boat as you, Travis. I, when this all happened, I tried to I look up like, what is an NFT? Cause I, 
I'm like you. I've heard it's apparently bad for the environment. I don't understand how. I really don't. And and I I wish I knew because I I'm I'm very interested because NFTs are becoming big, mm-hmm. but everybody's like they're bad they're bad. I I wish I understood how, and everything right. I look up is like really over my head. Like that's that's above my pay grade wording. I don't get what you're saying. Yeah, and it's and it's not that we're like. It's not that we don't care about the environment or the environmental effects that these things can have. It's just like this is kind of like big brain stuff that's just really hard for me to you know wrap my head around. And so it's like, you know, I'm not I'm not saying anything about NFTs as far as like me being pro or against because I don't understand enough to really know what's going on. My only thing is like. They're expensive. I don't understand why people spend that much on them, but yeah, I, I, it's just, weird. I, like I said, I, it is it is something that is so over my head. I guess that's why I never really, really understood, never really got into it because it's like apparently they cost a ton of money. So I've just like, well, then I'm it's nothing I'll ever get involved in. So I've never really had the like the drive to even look into it until fairly recently. So anyway, like I said, if anybody wants to email us in email the podcast explain this stuff to uh to me a little bit better so i'm not a, a complete idiot just a partial idiot <laughs> but moving on to the next bit of news we have heard or they have announced that alamo draft house will be showing at certain locations uh, the 4K remaster of Godzilla 1954, the original Gojira, and it's going to be shown on November 3rd. This is the world premiere, the only time that this is being shown in theaters, uh, or the first time that this is being shown in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what What's your thoughts on this? Okay, there's a ton to unpack from this. One... I'm very upset because my Alamo closed during the pandemic and it never opened back up. So I could have seen it if it wasn't for the fact it was closed. Hey, the closest one is like two hours away. I dude, hate the, it. the closest Alamo draft house to me is like eight hours away. So. Like, if it was two hours away, I would drive two hours to see this. I, I can't drive eight hours to go see this movie. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> but that that's that was my first reaction. It's like, dang it. Um, my second reaction, Criterion has the 4K transfer. Oh, my God. 4K Godzilla, please, please, please. That was my second reaction, because this is all being brought to us by Janus Films, which is the Mm -hmm. parent company to Criterion. Criterion. And there's two other, three other, two, three, two, three, three other important things about this. So this is the first, is 4K transfer is officially in Criterion's hands, and Criterion is starting 4K releases. They recently announced Citizen Kane as their first title, which means Godzilla could be in the pipeworks now, which is great. Yes. Really awesome. Yeah, the the idea of getting a 4K remaster of of Gojira of Godzilla 1954 is amazing. And they they 
somebody put out, I think it was, uh, oh man, I can't remember who it was. It might've been G man for all I know who showed, uh, because they put out, um, a clip from the 4k remaster, um, to kind of advertise mm-hmm. this, this Alamo draft house, sh- uh, screening and they, uh, somebody put it paired it next to the HD version that we have right now that's been out from Criterion. Oh. Uh, and like I thought the HD looked really good, but man, it looks so so much better. And like there's not that that flickering that that you get uh-huh, in uh-huh. in some of these old movies, which we, we we're going to talk about that when we talk about the movie this week. Um is is gone they've gotten rid of that flickering it's so crisp and clear it looks like it was filmed yesterday not mm-hmm. s- what 70 years ago <laughs> it's beautiful it's beautiful it looks great and so i would love to go and see this again we both said both of us i just can't, there's no alamo draft house the, that is the one problem i have with this is why only Alamo Draft House? Why couldn't you release this in a chain or a, or a you know a theater that is more widely available to people? But mm-hmm. that's that's coming from me and you who are in the kaiju sphere and are like, why not release this to everyone? You know, all the theaters all around the country, and it's like, yeah, but realistically how many of the wider audience are actually going to care enough to go and see this. So I get it. I, I get it. Why they might go with a smaller theater chain or whatever. Alamo probably offered them a better deal. That's why they went with them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think another part of it is, so Alamo was where I saw Shin Godzilla. Um, but it was not an Alamo exclusive. It was a fathom event. Right. Um, so I think what it what really what it comes down to is the reason these are being brought to us is because Janice made the deal with Toho and then Janice went to Alamo. Right. Now Janice sometimes goes to Fathom events as well, but in this case it was a Alamo exclusive. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if in the future we see them go to Fathom events and any Fathom event theater will show them, which I hope because I have an AMC that does those. Yeah, movies. I have a I have a Cinemark that does a does Fathom events. So yeah, if they ever do go to Fathom, yes, definitely. I mean, because Fathom was the ones who were doing the uh, for the uh, what was it the thirty something anniversary of of um, Transformers the movie Transformers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and so and we had and I had that in my local theater. So I'm like, yeah, if they go to Fathom, then that would be great. But right now, it's just it's just Alamo. But along with this, along with this, they are also doing oh. special screenings of a few other movies, which is Godzilla versus Hedera, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. They're doing Return of Godzilla, Godzilla versus Biollante, and Shin Godzilla. I find it extremely fascinating that they're actually doing two of the Heisei films because we haven't had like a like full 4K kind of, you know, HD releases of the Heisei era. So is this a hint to the fact that they're in the works of trying to do a Heisei collection? I 
I just, I need to say this. I called it. I called it. I called it. I said this two years ago. I called this. <laughs> okay, stop tearing up your room. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Okay, so when, when Criterion announced that they were doing the Showa era, I said, uh, Biolante's out of print. 84 mm-hmm. goes out of print in 2021. I was yes. I was one of those people on the sidewalk saying the apocalypse is now, but it was 84 is going out of print. Um, <laughs> Shin Godzilla goes, uh, the if it was a five-year contract, which I believe it was, in 2017, uh, 2016, um, that would be f- uh, five years, 2021. Um, right. Ghidorah and Mothra just went out of print. I've been saying that Criterion and Janus would get the rights to the Heisei films because I believe they will do for the uh, either the uh, 70th or 71st first a Heisei box set and then eventually lead up to a full uh, orig- uh, classic Toho Godzilla release, and then maybe a separate Shin Godzilla release. That's my predictions. And with this, it's confirmed that Janus has 84 and Biolante. So, and, and the fact that uh, Ghidorah and Mothra just went out of print as well a few years ago, they could have those as well. Um Prior to right. the Criterion Collection box set, Janus had a few special showings of Gigan Megalon or Gigan Hetera and Ebera um, earlier that year, which were under the Janus label, even though they had never announced that they got the rights to those. So this is nothing but just green lights for Heisei box set coming in the future, and I am yeah. pumped. Yeah, this this is uh because because wasn't uh the return of Godzilla and Biolante did weren't they with Sony? Was it Sony that had the distribution rights for them for a long time? So Return of Godzilla is kind of a mess. So uh New Line Cinema got the rights from Toho and they owned it until the turn of the century, but there was still rights issues, so Toho couldn't do anything with it up right. until twenty sixteen. Then they okay. licensed it to Kraken, and then the Kraken license ended this year. Um, okay, the Kraken was the one that ended Biolante, this year. Okay. yeah, and then Biolante was with Miramax, uh-huh. and then that went up all the way until 2014, and okay. then they lost the rights, and that film has just been with Toho since then. Okay, yeah, I remember that they that there was like there the rights or the distribu- the distribution rights were kind of wonky with those films and that was one of the reasons that kept coming up of like well you know they why they're not doing a Heisei box set or why they can't put all the Heisei movies together because of these wonky mm-hmm. Uh, distribution rights but it looks like all of that's resolved especially this year all of that seems to be cleared up and it looks like janice films the criterion people have their mitts on it so that's yeah yeah it's it's just like as when i when i because when they when i heard the news that they were going to be doing special screenings of other godzilla films i'm like oh okay so they're they might do like you know mothra versus godzilla or uh um, you know, Godzilla versus Megalon or something like that. And and then I looked at the list and I was like, wait, there's two Heisei films in here. 
what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? So yeah, no, I, I think that this is a, a signal to good things to come. Mm-hmm. Especially with Toho working, Biolante has a 4K transfer coming. Um, I all I can think is Toho and Criterion are working, and I could. The unfortunate part is it might be the last physical these films ever get, but a 4K box set of all the original films from 1954 to 2004 has never been more possible until now and i'm just beyond excited for the possibility of that mm-hmm. yeah i mean just that just the idea the idea that we could get a full collection of everything from 54 to 2004 is just uh oh uh, man okay but, uh, but yeah, so this is all the reason why they're doing all of this uh, on November 3rd is because November 3rd is Godzilla's anniversary or birthday or however you want to mm-hmm. call it. Um, it's it's the 67th anniversary, I think, 67th um, of, uh, of Godzilla, first Godzilla. And so along with these films being shown, we're also going to get new Godzilla collectibles that are going to be released around that same time or on that day. We've got Godzilla pop-up shops that will be returning to uh, Japan and to the bookstores. Uh, it's the uh, Kino, it's Kino Kuniya, I think is how you say it, uh, Kino Kuniya bookstores. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had pop-up shops last year, I think, and the year before for the anniversary. Um, so they just they do these pop-up shops anytime there's the anniversary, the celebration of uh, the anniversary. Uh, we also are getting a Godzilla uh, AR experience, which is augmented reality. Um, so that's going to be fun. You're going to have something that you can do with your cell phone. That's going to be augmented reality. There's going to be a documentary series called Godzilla Chomp that's going to be released on the Godzilla YouTube channel. Just all of these things. Uh, Toho's also partnered up with Mondo, Super 7, uh, again, the uh, Kino Kuniya bookstore and the official Godzilla shop on Amazon to give fans new merchandise celebrating the Kaiju. Uh, Mondo is going to be creating a number of new products, including a Godzilla and Hedera Safubis, as well as the latest addition to their Godzilla museum statue line, um, which I think they actually showed on, I saw it on Twitter, uh, what it's going to look like. Um, They've already revealed what it's going to look like. Uh, the company also plans to announce several top secret additions to its Toho collection on November 3rd, which will include the return of Godzilla's soundtrack pressed on vinyl and the Kinokuniya bookstores of America will once again offer fans access to a huge catalog of Godzilla merch, including items available exclusively from the official Godzilla store in Japan. So much happening, so many things that they're offering and it it just it feels like it feels like it's the it's a big anniversary almost like it's like the 65th or the 70th but it's not it's only the 67th so i'm surprised they're doing so much this year speaking of that let me ask you something what do you think the likelihood of the world of godzilla being announced is i think it's very high right now or something like that uh, what is that remind me what that is 
So the world of Godzilla is Toho's ideal next line of Godzilla films, where it's a shared universe with all the kaiju. Because that's my prediction. That's my prediction for the big announcement they're keeping secret. I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, Maybe. I mean, they're giving us so much, and it could be. It could be. Maybe that's why this year is is so big is because they're planning a big announcement like that, that that that's going to, you know, that's going to be such big news. And so they decided to go ahead and make this this year a big celebration because because, yeah, it doesn't make sense for this year to be the year to do such a big celebration of Godzilla. I mean, every year we celebrate Godzilla every year um, on this podcast and everything, but, but yeah, you, you expect this kind of stuff to be a big anniversary, not the 67th, um, maybe, you know, like a big solid mm-hmm. number, like a 70 or, you know, or a 65, you know, something like that. So maybe, maybe I, I could, I could definitely see it happening. So that's, um, it's all, it's all very exciting. Um, the, the stuff I was reading out about this was on Collider. So if anybody wants to look up some information about this to see kind of some of the details on what's going to be released, what's going to be available, all that kind of stuff, you can go to Collider and check out, they have a whole article that's all about all the stuff that is being released and featured for the Godzilla anniversary this year. Awesome. And we can now move on to the next bit of news, which is that we have new images of the Bandai Premium Muto Muto figures uh, that are going to be released coming up soon. Uh, it says February. They're going to be released in February. So we had heard about these. They announced these. Now we have actual pictures of them. The figures stand between four inches to six inches tall, uh, include a missile effect piece and will be released. They're up for pre-order and they're going to be released in February. The price is somewhere around $200, give or take. Oh God. Oh God. Yeah. So we've got the male uh, Muto and the female Muto. Uh, both of them, they come as a set and yeah, they're premium Bandai. They look great. They look really good, but they're small. They are small. They are small. Yeah. It's just four to six inches is really small for figures that are going to be 200. I, I think this is overpriced, like way overpriced, especially for characters that are not like fan favorites. Like, I mean, you know, the Mutos are fine and there are people who really like the Mutos, but they're not like, they're not like Angiris, you know, they're not like Mothra, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, they're not really fan favorites. So, uh, they kind of came and they gone really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're kind of, uh, almost, I won't, I won't say forgettable because you know, they're, they, they're not necessarily forgettable, but they they really didn't make a huge impact on the franchise. Let's put it that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't see, I don't understand overpricing them or overpricing them so high, but again, I have said it many, many times. I am not in the collector's sphere. So maybe this is average. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I have no idea. Maybe $200 is what you would typically pay for something like this. I don't know. I, I'm trying to think. Uh, typically, I don't think, I think Bandai Premiums like 
70, 80. Hmm. So I guess maybe, but I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I think. Yeah, they definitely I think do seem overpriced. About 200. Yeah, yeah. And and what sucks is they're just going to go up in price. Like there's nothing to. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Especially for one and done kaiju, they always just continuously go up in price. So they're they're never mm. going down. Mm. Yeah. Um but yeah. That's uh that's the news for that. Uh moving on to the next bit of news, we have a new Godzilla Interception Operation Awaji, the first anniversary event will be held from October 9th through December 26th. So anybody who doesn't know what the Godzilla interception operation Awaji is, that is the big Godzilla statue, uh, that you can zip line through along with the museum and the, the restaurant and all of that kind of stuff that's there on Awaji Island in Japan. Uh, it is, we, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but in case anybody's missed it, it is, it is a big statue that they built of Shin Godzilla with his mouth wide open, life-size, actual two-scale size, and then you zip line mm-hmm. through it, and then they have a whole bunch of other stuff around it that you can do and everything. It's part of this whole big theme park there on Awaji Island. Um, but yeah, we've actually come up to the first anniversary. I cannot believe that this thing has been around for one whole year now. Yeah. Like, I remember was- covering this news item on the podcast and covering it in the Kaiju ramen magazine because of it being such a big news thing. Yeah. Wasn't it your first article you wrote for the magazine? It was, it was the first article that I wrote. Yeah. It was the first article that I personally wrote for the magazine, uh, was, was this. So yeah, it, uh, it, man, I can't believe it's already made it a whole year now. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so this this uh, first anniversary event is going to have a stamp rally, a photo session with Chibi Godzilla, which is kind of like the Godzilla mascot that they're using for a lot of kids related stuff nowadays. Or nightmare fuel, as I like to call him. Uh, yeah, he is kind of, um, <laughs> I don't know, he's cute. He's horrifying. He's cute. He's cute. He's cute. He's nowhere he near has as like horrifying. Four knobs as... on his head. <laughs> He's nowhere near as horrifying as Gojiban. Okay, you have a point, <laughs> but it's not a good point. Those things are horrifying too. <laughs> oh man. And uh, yeah, so I think we can power through the next uh, few bits of news because really it's just release news um, for DVD and Blu-ray releases. So we have the Yokai Arrow box set comes out next week. Uh, we've already, we have mentioned on the podcast, but just a reminder uh, for anybody who's interested in getting the Arrow box set of all the Yokai films. It comes out next week. I actually just got my tracking for it, so mine's coming. It should be here Tuesday. Yay! Nice, nice. I knew you were you jumped on this right away because you you really like the yokai oh, films. Yeah. I've actually never seen them, so this oh was, really? That's why I was just yeah. The, I I jumped on it because it's like oh my god, I need to see these, and I don't want to spend five hundred dollars to buy all four films on DVD, right? Yeah, yeah. And this now this doesn't include the the latest one uh which is Guardians, Yokai something mm-hmm. Guardians. It doesn't include that one though. Yeah, Great Yokai War Guardians 
wasn't included, but I think it'll be released by Arrow in the in the future. Give it a year yeah. or so. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. But this was a fairly recent film. It just came out what, just a couple of months ago, so it's why it wasn't included in the box set. Makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. We also have from SRS Cinema, we have Great Buddha Arrival is up for pre-order, as well as uh, Nezra 1964, which is going up for pre-order soon. Uh, we don't have the exact date on that one, but both of those films are, uh, are going to be up for pre-order from SRS Cinema. Mm-hmm. Very excited. Yeah, I am excited. I I, I think Nezra 64, Nezra 1964 was one of our first news items that we covered on this podcast when we relaunched it uh, with when Steven was still my co-host. So I'm just like, I'm excited to finally see this movie. Like, I really want to see this movie and great Buddha arrival. I've heard a lot of you know great things about that movie. So I want to see that one, too. And it's got a Kira Takarada, So can't can't mm-hmm. can't be that bad. No, no, God, God, uh, love Takarada-san. And then we also have Half Human, the U.S. version, is getting a U.K. DVD release. It's unknown whether it's official or not, but there's a chance it is. we don't know whether Toho has actual control over the U.S. cut of this film, but we know that they do have the the control over the Japanese cut, and the Japanese cut is not getting released because that's one of those films that Toho tries to pretend like doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Though I, when I uh, when they announced that today, I did some digging. Apparently, Toho actually had a theatrical run of it in 2017. Really, which was really weird. Yeah. Wow. Huh. So that's cool. I I don't I I don't know. I know there is also a German release of it, like limited to five hundred copies, like a year ago. But yeah, I mean, Toho still likes to pretend this film doesn't exist. So it's 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 weird that this is getting a release now. Yeah. Well, I mean, for for I mean, I understand why they pretend like I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I also understand where they're coming from. Same reason why I kind of understand where Disney's coming from with Song of the South and like they try to pretend like that doesn't exist. Um, mm-hmm. Again, don't necessarily completely agree with it, but I understand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, but that's all. Uh, we also have some news that Zerum is going to be released soon. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, who's putting that one out? Media Blasters, baby! Media Blasters. Yes. The Media Blasters is putting out quite a few kaiju movies and tokusatsu movies um, throughout the rest of the year and moving into next year. Uh, but Zerum, I love Zerum. I watched it with Nathan. Uh, we had like a movie night uh, where just the two of us sat and watched this movie, and it was just like it blew my mind. I mean, I already know that um, what's his name is such a Keita Amamiya uh, is such a mm-hmm. amazing like creature designer and has this, just this he's, he's almost like Tim Burton when Tim Burton was at his heights, like that, this, the bizarre way that he sees the world and can create just really whacked out things um is amazing and so yeah watching zerum zerum is you know definitely one of uh keita amamiya's most well-known works and the fact that we're getting an official release here in the u.s where we can actually own it officially is amazing yeah and media blasters put out its sequel at the beginning of this year so and i own that one 
So you'll be able to own both films. And the uh, the anime is on DVD from Discotech. So the entire Zero franchise will be over here in, in some official format. Yeah. So that'll Man. be awesome to grab. It's great. It is great. We're, we're just as a, as as fans of Japanese tokusatsu monster creature sci-fi films like we are getting spoiled mm-hmm. we are just spoiled between arrow media blasters srs all these ones you know it's to- toho subaraya and, and mill creek and all that we're just getting so spoiled by all this stuff and it, it's just it's amazing the amount of content that we're getting oh i have a little just a small uh honorable mention Actually, have two of them. Um, I you I haven't heard you guys talk about it, but I'm going to point it out now. Zilla Foot, the SRS movie, is available on DVD, um, and Mondo Macabray announced Shinya Tezukamoto's uh, Hikaru the the Goblin, I believe it's what it's called, uh, is also being released on Blu-ray from them uh, on thursday let's i think it's i think it's october like 20 23rd october 21st uh they're going to be releasing that on blu-ray for a limited edition so that's pretty cool just two little honorable mentions there yeah yeah that's nice yeah i haven't i didn't mention anything about the uh, zilla foot because i forgot about the dvd release because i have my blu-ray so i wasn't even thinking about a dvd release um i've got my blu-ray sitting on my shelf right now <laughs> rocking out to zilla foot over there i love it yeah so uh so that's gonna do it for the news the news kind of dragged on a little long um again sorry we we missed last week's episode we didn't put out an episode last week so uh we had a lot of news to catch up on so that's kind of why we had so much news but uh but yeah we tried to get through as much as we could if we missed anything we're sorry but we try to give you as much as we can um but now it is time to get into our main topic this week And our main topic, before we get into our main topic, we always like to ask a trivia question and read out some of the answers to that trivia question. And the trivia question that we asked a couple of weeks ago that was uh, to hint to what this topic was, uh, what was the first science fiction tokusatsu film released in color? And we only had a couple of answers. We didn't have too many answers this week. Our normal people who usually answer didn't answer this week, except minus one, who I don't know if I should read it out because you're already here on the podcast with me. Yeah. yeah. So, I was really uh, looking forward to hearing Michael freak out over this answer, but uh, it is uh, what it is. You, you can send it to him another time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Recycle it. Recycle it and send it, to, send it through on the next one. Uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> Dr. Vandersteen sent in Tron. Uh, not the correct answer, but thank you for participating. We love uh, we love getting people. These are these are a couple of new people that haven't really uh, gotten involved or at least haven't gotten involved in the trivia uh, on a regular basis enough for me to remember their names. Um, so this is really cool. Uh, we love seeing people interact with us and get involved with us on Twitter. Uh, Bruce Kaprinsky sent in the answer, Rodan. 
And Bruce, you're not totally wrong, only somewhat wrong. Um, because Rodan was the first kaiju film released in color. But this film that we're talking about is a sci-fi tokusatsu. Didn't name it, didn't call it a kaiju because I don't know if you'd actually call it a, just a straight up kaiju film, uh -uh. but it definitely is a tokusatsu film. Yes. So that's, that's the difference there. And we have covered Rodan on this podcast and the trivia question I asked for uh, Rodan was what was the first kaiju film to be released in color. So, uh, <laughs> so it's like, I, I I'm not very creative in my trivia questions, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this week, our main topic is warning from space from 1956. Uh, the cast and crew include, it was directed by Koji Shima written by Hideo Oguni. It stars Keizo Kawasaki, Toyomi Karida, Ben Yagisawa, Isao Yamagata, Shozo Nanbu, bon Bontaro Miyake. Bontaro Miyake. Uh, did my best in trying to pronounce those Japanese names. I'm still a Japanese learner. Please forgive me. <laughs> but I, I did my best. I tried. I tried. I'm sorry. Uh, and the plot breakdown. Usually... Michael gives us a funny plot breakdown, but since he's not here this week, I decided to just read out the plot breakdown uh, myself. So, when Starro the Conqueror arrives on Earth, intent on enslaving humanity, it's up to the superheroes of the world to band together and defeat the evil alien as the newly formed Justice League. Oh, wait, wait, that's the plot to a comic book. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> My comic book nerds will understand why I chose that as the plot breakdown because the aliens, the, what are they called? The Pyrans? Pyrans, the, yeah. The Pyrans are big starfish creatures with a single eye in the center, much like Starro from DC Comics, who has made his big screen debut just fairly recently in The Suicide Squad. So it's very apt that we're covering this movie so soon after that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so opening thoughts, uh, Elijah, I know you're not into comic books, so yeah, I know you don't really have anything to, to add to that. Oh. <laughs> I just, I, I appreciated it. Cause you know, I, when, when the suicide squad movie came out, I was like, Oh my God, it's the, the starfish people from warning from space. So I appreciated <laughs> that reference. Uh, a lot, a lot more, um, a lot more evil than the than the pirates in this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. But uh, let's let's get into our opening thoughts. What are your opening thoughts on this movie? So it had uh, when I watched it. I watched it for this, and this is actually the first time I've actually been able to sit through the entire movie. Um, the even though you own it. Dub I, I've actually owned it for a long time because I had the English version on the public domain stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I've never sat and I was, I, when I got the Arrow video release and I watched it, uh, I kind of fell asleep. It was late at night. It's a very <laughs> quiet movie. <laughs> and, and actually, when, when I was watching it today, like, I was an hour and seven minutes in, and I paused it for a second to check something, and I passed out. 
And then <laughs> I guess I hit play and like I woke up to the, the sound of the main menu. So I I had to go back and find where I stopped and I just it's a very sleep inducing movie. That's my opening thoughts. Wow. Okay. Um yeah, uh I was going to open with yeah, this movie is a slow burn. It is a slow mm-hmm. burn. Um I don't know if that's a pun because of how much stuff burns in this movie, but but that is definitely a sl- it is definitely a slow burn movie. I so I tried watching this movie like 3 times and was struggling to get through it and I thought it was just me. So hearing you say you were struggling to get through it actually makes me feel better cuz I thought that was just me because of everything going on in my uh real life right now that I was struggling to get through it. Uh but I did finally sit down and watch the whole thing and and actually I don't hate this movie. This movie's actually really good. Mm-hmm. It's actually a really good movie. Um it's just it is one of those it's one of those sci-fi movies that is very slow uh has a long lingering shots um there's a lot of there's a lot of tension in the movie and those long lingering shots kind of are there to build tension but if you are the type of person who is used to more modern sci-fi it is it moves at a snail's pace it really does Mm -hmm. it does not feel like 90 minutes so I think we can get into our patented positivity sandwich um, by starting with some of our likes, then getting into our dislikes, then finishing on some positives. So what are some positive things about this movie that you found? Uh, I, I guess I'll go ahead and get the, the obvious out there. It's very colorful. Like, it's obvious this was an early color film in Japan because everything is very very vibrant in colors Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's like it's like when they did the wizard of oz you know uh here in the states it's like yeah we finally have color film we're going to push that to the absolute extreme by just one assaulting your eyes with as many vibrant colors as we can (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah um so I, I really like I love a good colorful film. Um, I'm gonna relate this to another Japanese film that's it's actually three hours long, um, and it has a lot of long lingering shots. Uh, 1965's Kawaidan. Um, it's also a very colorful film, and I really love those Japanese films that like to embrace it, embrace the the artistry of the the format they're going through so i really like that um and the the pirates have a really nice it's very cheap but i really dig their designs like i really think they look good yeah yeah so this was produced by uh daie who is most famous for doing uh daimajin and gamera and mm-hmm. they definitely are a lower budget type of studio. They didn't have the huge budget that like Toho had and its heyday. Um, they didn't have 
they didn't have you know someone as as brilliant and good as Subaraya to to design the suits. So a lot of the monsters and stuff in there, kaiju and tokusatsu stuff, tends to be a little bit on the cheaper looking side. But the idea of taking and making the aliens completely non-human, like just just have no human characteristics at all. They are big starfish people with eyeballs in the center of their bodies and they don't even actually speak even in japanese they they're speaking in a almost like a thought speech almost like almost like Mm -hmm. they're using tele uh telepathy to speak to each other uh is is so amazing to me for the 1950s because if you look at the what I would consider the American counterpart to this, which was actually made a little bit earlier than this film, but still I kind of feel like it's the American counterpart to this, which is the day the earth stood still. You still have mm-hmm, yeah. humanoid, you still have humanoid aliens. Even the big machine, the big robot is still humanoid to a certain extent. And it's, you know, so you still had that, uh, they didn't they didn't stray too far from the human form with a lot of the monster designs and alien designs in in uh back in the day whereas this one was just like to go way so far away from the human form for your aliens is just like yeah i think that's i think that's brilliant i think that was very creative and i think that they even though it is like the effects itself is not uh hold up as well as as we would hope it still just give them praise for their creativity and the boldness to do it. Oh, definitely. And and I'm actually happy you you related it to the day the earth stood still because I I was having trouble thinking of a Western counterpart. So that's that's actually a really good example. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. This movie is is very much the day the earth stood still, but in a Japanese context. Um, so it's very, it, oh, yeah. it has a lot of the same themes, a lot of the same elements there, but there is, uh, but there, but there's enough uniqueness and creativity in it. that I think this film is, is really good. And actually I think this film surpasses the day the earth stood still in a lot of ways. Oh yeah. Um, there's a scene in this movie where one of the, uh, Pyrans, one of the aliens, uh, decides to take human form. And so he goes into a machine that transforms him into human form. Uh, They call it the transmutation. Uh, They call it transmutation. That scene was excellent. Like, of course, it is still, you know, 1956 effects. But the what they did with it and how they did it was really creative. And I really liked that scene. Just the slow how it was like, like in parts. So, you know, you saw the, the human form taking shape and then it, it was fully human, but didn't have hair. And then the hair grows, you know, slowly in stages and just how it was all done in stages was just really cool. I really liked that scene. What'd you think of that? Mm-hmm. I, I did like that part too, a lot. Um, I, it, it's very like, well, when, when I was watching that scene in particular, I really liked how, like you said, it was in parts like the hair and then it was like, I believe it was the nose and then the mouth and then the eyes and then, you know, it mm-hmm. gave it color. I, I really liked how they more mutated the pyron into the, the human 
and the use of color at the end, you know, at the beginning it's browns and grays, but at the end it's red and, and white and vibrant. I really like the, the color change in that scene as well. I thought it was really, really well done for 1956, especially Japanese 1956. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you, you, you're talking a lot about the use of color, and one of the areas where I thought the use of color was really great is the the glowing blue light whenever the pyrans would show yes. up early on in the film. The way they did that yes. was so well done, and, and even ha- how they like left almost like a blue flame behind everywhere they went. It was just like that, and, and, and for it to be you know, mostly kind of uh, desaturated background colors and then just to have that real pop of vibrant blue there just to show this is where the alien was and this is where it was standing it just really stood out oh yeah yeah the 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 that blue in particular is a really good blue and Mm -hmm. yeah i that's definitely a nice detail that i think a lot of people will overlook but looks really good and it's always like you said, it's very, it's, they stage it so it's very dark. And mm-hmm. they even film it like it's almost a horror movie in those scenes. And I think it does a really good job at adding a layer of mystery to the whole plot of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I actually kind of wish they had kept that tone through the whole thing because that mm-hmm. that tone of not knowing yeah the 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 idea of the aliens coming to help humans but yet humans are so afraid of them because they look scary that they can't actually help them is a really interesting idea and i thought that was a really interesting uh dilemma but then they kind of move past it fairly quickly in the film. And I was kind of disappointed by that, but, uh, but yeah, that was really good. I think the way that they got that kind of bluish flame that was kind of lingering after the aliens would disappear is with kerosene, either kerosene or some kind of, some kind Mm -hmm. of like um, uh, gel, you know, like flammable gel that they would just put right there and then light it and it and it burns blue because it was blue flames that were left behind yeah and they would just you know zoom in on those and it was just it was really cool really cool use of the of the color and and special effects to make that look so otherworldly mm-hmm. and and i definitely think the film needed that especially for its its short end in the in the characters department i think it really needed those uh, those special effects elements to keep the film, I think, narratively interesting. Yeah, yeah, because because like most films from this time, this this kind of fits into almost like the American style of of B horror movie, B sci fi movies, uh, where the the heroes are the scientists. Uh, they're kind of generic, and there's no real real depth to them other than just we're a scientist and we're here to save humanity and we're going to solve this problem. And that's, that's pretty much, so it, so it feels almost more American in that way, in the way that like uh, the American films from the same time period were being made uh, as far as like these yeah. type of movies, these, these, these sci-fi movies that were done on the, on the cheaper budget. Yeah. And, and I, I, 
I really was hoping that they were going to do a kind of a Godzilla 54. Because it's an ensemble cast. There's no main character. Like, right. it's, it's essentially you walk around with five people. And I was really hoping we could get a nice dynamic five-person story. But at the end of the story, it's like, I don't care about this romance. They didn't even... It's only there for like two scenes, and they ignore the re it the rest of the time. These mm -hmm. scientists, I don't know why I should care about them. Like, okay, so one of them made a weapon that's more destruct, you know, worse than the atomic bomb. Great. Mm -hmm. They're all like, let's use all of our nuclear weapons. Okay. There's not a whole lot of defining elements to really, I think, make any of these people pop. In the yeah. Film. Yeah, I kind of hoped that the physicist character uh, was going to turn out kind of like um, Dr. Sarazawa from Godzilla 54, where it's like, I I made this thing that is more dangerous than, than even the atomic weapons. And we've seen how, you know, the... the once this kind of technology falls into the wrong hands, how it can be used for destruction. So I am going to hide it and not let anybody use it. But then he's forced to actually use it to cause destruction and to, to actually, you know, save, but he doesn't want to. And it's kind of that conflict there between, you know, him having this. And that's kind of what leads to his ultimate sacrifice of like, I'm going to sacrifice myself because I don't want this technology to ever be used again. Uh, and I was kind of hoping that you had that dilemma and that kind of in-depth character struggle with, from the physicist character who developed a, a, uh, a formula for something that is more powerful than atomic than an atomic bomb, but you don't get that. You really don't get, you get a little yeah. tiny bit of like, oh, I, you know, I'm going to never let anybody see it. And then, then he's offered, you know, money to sell it and he stands firm. I'm never going to, you know, use this. And then in the end, it's the only thing that can save them. But there's just not that real, like, just gut wrenching dilemma and, and like, you know, yeah. struggle that you get in like Gojira or Godzilla 54. Yeah, and and to to add on to that, one thing I I found really annoying is like when the scientist finally gets to the group of people, the pirates come and they're like, "Oh, we made it. You guys are fine." It's yeah. very anticlimactic. There's there's no uh, there there's it feels like the climax is so melodramatic and just like mm -hmm. mundane that. It just, it happens, and everything kind of just wraps up, and they're like, everything's great again. Oh. Yeah. I had, we had this. Living a great life. Yeah. Me and, uh, me and Michael talked about this when we covered, um, when we covered Jason and the Argonauts on the podcast of, like, there was a time period back in that, you know, in, in that era where films just kind of ended they didn't really have a strong mm -hmm. conclusion. It was just kind of like the end there it is, you know? Uh, and there's a lot of movies that, that follow that kind of formula. It was just kind of a thing that they did back then that we don't see in modern films. Uh, and so you kind of have to judge it 
based on the idea that, oh, this was just the style back then. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, no, from a modern standpoint, it really needs a stronger ending. It really needs a stronger conclusion than just the end. Everything's good. Whatever. Move on. Uh, you know, I just, yeah, yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. And that's something that I've just noticed that a lot of films from this era did that. Uh, we're kind of already getting into our uh, dislikes, so we can kind of get into the the negatives, discussing some negatives, and then we'll finish on a few more positives uh, for the movie. So some more negatives that we have for the movie. What are what are some more negatives that you have? Um, let me let me think here, because I my my big thing with the film is the characters are lacking and the story drags like. Those are the two problems when I watch the film I really had. Because if I fall asleep during a movie, I always, like, that's that's how I judge. Like, if, if I watch a movie for the first time and I fall asleep and I'm not, like, dead tired, then clearly there's a problem in the story. Because I'm not interested enough to keep into it. Um, so, I that is a big thing. Um well, let me ask you this. So the, the one one of the big things, one of the big things that I had a problem with in this film is the Pyrans' reason for coming to Earth to give the warning from space, you know, the, the actual title of the movie. Yeah. Is the warning about the planet R that's going to hit, or is it about nuclear weapons, or is it about this new formula that's more powerful than an atomic bomb which which one are they warning us I, about i think the idea is they're warning us about planet r because well I think. because in the movie when they first when the pirates first finally reveal what they're warning you know they, they're like uh oh no this formula is is dangerous this formula is too dangerous for humans we've developed a a better source of energy uh, because we've learned that that can that uh, formula is too dangerous to to uh, be created. Oh, by the way, there's mm -hmm. also a rogue planet that's coming to attack your or coming to hit your planet and going to destroy it. It's like, wait, yeah. one of those things seems a little bit more urgent than the other. Why didn't you guys yeah, lead with that one? <laughs> right, right. And, like, they also say how America, or not America, just, like, the world is using atomic weapons and how we can destroy ourselves. And if we, it, it, yeah, it's, clearly they didn't know which one they wanted to go on to. Right. I, I think they just kind of wrote them all together and they're like, people can pick which one's more important. It'll yeah, all and work I think at the end. Yeah, and I think that was my biggest problem with the film is that the film didn't seem to to it didn't make a hard decision until like halfway or more than halfway into the movie. It didn't make a hard decision on which story element is the one we're going to follow or which is going to be mm -hmm. the main dilemma to solve because it yeah. seemed like early on that atomic weapons were the problem because they even say, why did they appear in Japan and not, uh, or to the Japanese people and not to 
any other country? Well, because Jap- Japan is the only country that has firsthand knowledge of the devastating effects of nuclear attacks. So that's why they appear to him. So obviously the warning it has something to do with nuclear weapons. But but there's also this rogue planet that's randomly just rocketing towards earth and it's like i just there was there's three different things that they that they wanted to be the theme the main or the main like dilemma the main uh thing that they needed to solve in this movie and and they couldn't decide which one was more important than the others and though they just kind of merged them all into one and then and then the aliens disappear for like 45 minutes of this movie yeah, and just leave they, the they humans to solve the off. problem. <laughs> yeah, and then they just walk in and they're like, oh, we put a ring on him. He's okay. And then they leave for another like 10 minutes. And then yeah. they come back and they're like, oh, we solved your problem. And then Why ends. didn't you do that yeah. to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Obviously the pirates have like advanced technology. They're talking about how much more advanced they are than humans, but yet they're not going to, they come to warn us, but they're not going to actually do anything to help us until the very last minute they decide to do something. And it's like, just why, why aren't you actively helping? Why aren't you actively? And they don't even like, I can understand if it was like, we, we took a vow of no interference. We have to let you solve this problem on your own. They didn't say that though. There, there was no reason Mm -hmm. behind them not doing anything to help other than just, they just didn't. Yeah. Yeah. it, It was a real, it's a narrative cluster. Because, like, the, 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 essentially, I feel like the aliens are just simply a plot device mm-hmm. to get us to be like, oh, this isn't, like, I, I haven't seen Gorath, but I think Gorath takes on this whole planet thing, like, planet plummeting mm-hmm. towards Earth a lot better. Now, I will say, I love the writing with, Oh, we came to Japan because you guys have the first-hand knowledge of what happens with nuclear weapons. That was a very nice little touch that I never saw afterwards, like in any other Japanese film that I know of. That I love that part. That's a very nice detail. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like that little detail. I just wish that it had paid off more in the overall story. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and, and of course we get the tension of trying to convince other countries to launch all of their nuclear weapons towards this planet so that it could, uh, possibly, you know, destroy it or, or knock it off course and it doesn't work and all this kind of stuff. So like, I, I just, yeah, there's so many things going on in this movie that it's like, it's almost like they couldn't decide, oh, like you were saying, it's like they had these three different stories and they couldn't decide which one they wanted to use. So they went, they merged them all into one. And it's just kind of, I don't know. It just, it was a mess. It was a little bit of a mess to yeah. me uh, in the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. I also find it, you, you mentioned the nuclear weapons. And when I was watching it, this was immediately the thing I thought of. This is a early Japanese film. That literally their answer to the problem is launch every single nuke we have and just hope it destroys it. Yeah. Like, that is such an interesting take for a Japanese film, especially of that time, to go on to. It's like, it, it's very 
I would say that's a modern concept because we're seeing more like in Godzilla King of the Monsters, um, they used a nuke to right. help solve the problem. And a lot of people have an issue with that. Um, right. So I yeah. find it very interesting. We have a Japanese film from the 50s that does this on a bigger scale. They're literally saying launch every single nuke we have and blow up a planet in space. Right. Like, that yeah. is such a weird idea. I think that is a Western thing more than a Japanese mm-hmm. thing. And that's why I think I, I really legitimately, if you watch this film, other than it being in Japanese, if you watch the actual Japanese version of it, other than it being in Japanese, everything else in this movie feels like a movie done by like Roger Corman or, you know, some, some other movie from, from the fifties or early sixties, uh, American giant monster movie, even going with stuff like beast from 20,000 fathoms. Like the beast from 20,000 yeah. fathoms is a fantastic movie. I love that movie, but the solution to the problem is radiation and, 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 like nuclear radiation and that's how they solved the problem uh and Mm -hmm. and that was used a lot in in uh the old american monster movies and that's why i feel like this everything in this movie feels more like an american monster movie american sci-fi movie than a japanese one down to the idea of them using nuclear weapons uh which is funny because Mm -hmm. the monsterverse the the uh king of the monsters it's an american take on godzilla and they're again using nuclear weapons as the solution (laughs) so it's just like yeah Yeah. it's i'm totally with you of like it's so weird to see that in a japanese produced movie that is from a japanese company and has no american input as far as i can tell so why i don't understand how they why they did it that way so i listened to this the the select scene commentary from Stuart galbraith on the arrow blu-ray he dwells on this idea because uh, this was the first tokusatsu film of this type it was the first alien movie it was the first tokusatsu color full color film so like it was the first of its type but it wasn't kaiju so they weren't banking off of 54 um Dae had just done uh rashomon prior to and the president of Dae was trying to get a lot of stuff over in the west however warning from space was never offered to the west until aip picked up it and put it on television so it's really unknown if they were trying to market to the it's very western even the there's a lot of stuff in it in the film that is very westernized. Um, some of the, the scientists live in very western homes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the film has this over like overlaying western like basis. However, mm-hmm. there is nothing to support that this film was marketed to be in the west because. Uh, king of the monsters the 56 version hadn't came out yet they didn't even know if people were interested into science fiction japanese films in the west right so like unless die was just hoping that this thing would do good yeah was it forethought or was it yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it's such a weird film in, in when you take into that context. Yeah. yeah, putting it into and, context with other Japanese films from the time, from this era, it, it stands out. Um, like I said, yeah, it, it definitely fits in more with the Western, but it just, like you said, but why? Why did they make it like that? when they didn't know that whether it was going to be released in the u.s or not it is it is it is a very bizarre piece of history and for that i think it's you know it's worth watching for that reason alone (laughs) definitely and one last thing i wanted to point out uh on this topic so one big thing about 50s b movies is a lot of it was filmmakers making a statement on the red scare you know communism was a huge huge thing on in the in the united states at that time Mm -hmm. and a lot of times science fiction films have in a lot of documentaries um they've made the statement that you know the monster that was created from nuclear tests and all that or the monster from space the aliens whatever it was was supposed to be a metaphor for communism you know Mm -hmm. it was coming to attack the americans and so the americans had to come together and show off their strength and defeat the enemy but here we have an example of the aliens are nice now the day the earth stood still is is also a film i think stands out um from this this formula of the the B movies from the fifties, but and that that also makes me ask the question because these are the only two that I can think of off the top of my head where the aliens in the film are trying to help the problem, not further the issue. Mm-hmm. So that also I think brings into question: Is this for Western audiences? It, it it doesn't it doesn't fit the mold, but it fits the idea of a western. It's yeah, it, uh, it, I yeah, love it's, to get answers. Yeah, it it really it is a very it is very interesting. Just I I don't I yeah, and we don't really have direct answers. Not that I've been able to find on this. You know, one of the things that I think. And I, I, I thought about this when I was watching the movie or and after I thought after I watched the movie that would have solved my problems with the with the plot, but all but also would have changed kind of the whole dynamic of the film is if they put in a scene where the because because like I said, the parent the pirates start out with a warning about nuclear weapons and this other formula that's more powerful than a nuclear weapon and then move on to this rogue planet what if the pirates are trying to convince the humans to get rid of all their nuclear weapons the humans you know the world council or whatever says no we're not going to get rid of all of our nuclear weapons so the pirates actually cause the plant the rogue planet the the asteroid whatever to start going towards the earth so that it would force the humans into using their nuclear weapons and getting rid of them and and you know and, and, and so, like i i think that that would have been a more interesting it would have brought all of the narr- the plot elements together 
but it also would have changed the dynamic a little bit of the pirates are here for our benefit, but they're also willing to put us at risk to prove a point. And mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, what do you, do you think? Do you think that my fan fiction idea <laughs> would have worked or do you think it would have changed the movie too much? I like that idea. Um, I, I definitely think it's more, I think it fixes the narrative. I, I think it tightens it up and makes it less of a cluster. Um, so I like that. But I also, the one thing is, I like the the idea that the aliens are nice in this film, even though it's very weird and awkward and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I like that aspect because it's very unique to it. And I know Mm -hmm. you uh, commented on its creativity. Um, Mm -hmm. And I would just be concerned that maybe it would reduce that creativity to more of your standard B movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. It would villainize these ones who are supposed to be completely good. And I, I think, I think in a more modern film, you would get something like that. Like what I, I mentioned because uh, people mm-hmm. like characters who are more in the gray. So there's like, Oh, obviously they're, they are, they have good intentions, but they're willing to do terrible things to reach for, the, for the better meant of humanity to reach the better uh meant of humanity but uh so i think that's more a more modern type story whereas yeah it's just back then uh or in this you know in this film they wanted the aliens to be pure good purely good and 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 I, you're right that it, it because there are so few films that do that uh especially in this time period that yeah, it it is good. It was just something that came to my mind of like, huh, that would be a neat way of tying everything together and kind of cleaning up some of the problems I have with the plot. But I think, but you're right. It would it would sure. create other problems. <laughs> I I think this is one of those movies where it would be nice if you could fix it, but fixing it I think would require an entire overhaul of the entire thing. Maybe the one that transforms doesn't want to destroy the earth so it stays down on earth when the planet is approaching so there you have a there you have uh, some stakes for at least one of the characters that we're following and Mm -hmm. from there maybe maybe because they were a scientist so Mm -hmm. maybe they use elements on on earth to create element 101 and then they blow up the planet and then Maybe yeah. I I don't know I don't know there it's it's one of those things that yeah and like we a said a lot of work <laughs> even the the problems with this film there's so much in this film that's that's unique and and different and weird for the type of film it is and where it was filmed at where it came from that I kind of don't want to fix any of the problems with it because then we'd be eliminating some of the uniqueness from this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I think we, now's a good time we can move into our Godzuki scores and our final thoughts. So for anyone who is new to the podcast, we like to rate our movies out of five Godzuki! 
cookies instead of five stars or anything like that because we like to embrace the silly side of giant monster movies uh and we're going to do that by using the great godzuki godzilla's bumbling nephew as our yardstick for rating these movies so elijah out of five Godzukis, how many Godzukis would you give Warning from Space? And what are your final thoughts on the film? Oh, that's hard. Um, I would have to say I would give it three. Do I have to sing? Yes, you have to sing it. Dang it. Okay. Okay. I would have to give it. Uh, hmm. Let me think here let's go with three Katsukis out of five. Um, my, my overall thoughts, it's a slow burn. It's got a ton of narrative issues. It's very vibrant, however, and it's very unique for its time. And I find it a very fascinating film to analyze um especially for its historical impact on tokusatsu because this was like number five overall um this was dae's third attempt and this was before toho's godzilla series went very big so it's it's definitely a film if you want to be a a tokusatsu historian um i highly recommend if you're wanting to watch just some Japanese fun, I don't know if this will satisfy you because of its Western influences, but it's definitely a film that I think is the outlier of its time uh, for both good and for worse. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I overall, I just think it's okay. I, I probably won't watch it, Again, uh, unless I want to listen to Galbraith talk about it um, until I do like a Dae Tokusatsu watch watch through. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I got. Yeah. Yeah, that's understandable. Um, yeah, for me, I, I really I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, I'm going to give it three and a half. God, I'm losing my voice a little bit here. <clears throat> um but uh no i i found the movie i found the movie really enjoyable uh it's very enjoyable and very unique uh when it it comes to japanese sci-fi movies um and if you are the type of person who likes things like war the worlds like the 50s version of war the worlds or the day the earth stood still or like we mentioned Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, any of those types of movies, you'd probably like this movie. You probably would enjoy this movie if you enjoy those. But like Elijah said, if you like Godzilla and Gamera and things like that, uh, this isn't really in the same ballpark as those. Like, this is not your fun, silly Japanese. This isn't even your very... Uh, deep interest uh, introspective kind of like 
uh, philosophical sty- style Japanese film. Like this isn't any of those. This is more in line with, like we said, the Western style of making sci-fi movies. And uh, and that's not a bad thing if you like those types of movies. But if you don't, you're not going to enjoy this. So for that reason, uh, I say I give it a three out three and a half out of five. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I watched it. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now we can move on to the next segment of the podcast. And Elijah, do you happen to know what the next segment is? Gee, could it be the mailbag? It is the mailbag. What's in the mail today? And if you would like to send us something into our mailbag for us to read out on the podcast, you can do that kaijuweekly at gmail.com or tweet us at kaijuweekly on Twitter, like LC Gatsu uh, at LC underscore Gatsu did uh, this week. Uh, Well, actually, I think it was last week, but I'm just now getting around to it. Sorry, LC, if you've been waiting to hear back from us on this. Uh, But yeah, we we kind of our schedule this month has kind of been crazy uh but he or she whoever uh or whatever pronoun they like to use uh asked the question at kaiju weekly i'd love some recommendations for obscure western made kaiju films in a similar vein to dragon wars both good and bad so they want recommendations for obscure And I had to remind myself obscure because I started picking stuff that wasn't necessarily too obscure. Western made kaiju films, but something in the similar vein of Dragon Wars, which was not a Western made film. It was actually Korean, but also was co-produced and had a lot. I had a lot of American uh, studio influence and stuff on it. So, Elijah, I'm going to give you some time to think, and then you can offer some of your uh, recommendations. But I actually put together a list of ones. So, Elsie Gatsu, here are some of mine. Um, Not all of these are necessarily super obscure, but I would say they're kind of uh, more obscure. Not necessarily as widely known as something like, well, like Rampage. I I thought about putting Rampage on here, but I was like, Ram, hello, Daisy. Put your butt right up onto my microphone. Um, Rampage is kind of, yeah, was a big budget you know, movie that everybody knew about or the Meg, things like that. Uh, so I kind of went, you know, tried to go a little bit smaller films that you may not have heard of or may not know much about. So I have Love and Monsters because I'm recommending that to everyone who is interested in monster movies because that movie is so good. I I mean, I know people have had a lot of problems with it and there are people who are kind of detractors of this movie, but love and monsters. I I went into it with with just zero expectations and came out really enjoying myself, just having a lot of fun with that movie. So I'm, I'm really, really uh, recommending that one to a lot of people. Um, it, It flew under the radar for a lot of people because it, came out during the height of, well, I mean, we're still kind of in it, but it came out when COVID shut everything down. So a lot of people missed it, didn't see it when it you know got put onto the streaming services, uh, didn't get released in theaters like it was hoping to and like it was planned to. So Love and Monsters is one that I recommend 
uh, you go and check out if you haven't already. Uh, Tremors. Love the Tremors movies. Of course, I'm a big, huge fan of Tremors. Um, but uh, the sequels get worse <laughs> as as they go on the sequels get worse so you know the first two i actually even go as far as to say the first three are pretty solid uh first one definitely the the second and third i think are still pretty fun but they definitely start getting worse as you go um troll hunter troll hunter is a uh norwegian film if i remember right it's norwegian uh it's yes absolutely a must watch uh, a lot of people have recommended us to cover it on the podcast we are going to cover it on the podcast at some point uh we just haven't gotten around to it but it is uh definitely a very unique film and if you're used to seeing japanese monster movies and american monster movies to go to a norwegian something that's you know a a, a style of filmmaking that you may not be used to from a country that you may not be as familiar with. Uh, it's, it's really, it's really something. So, so troll hunters one, uh, Gareth Edwards directed the first Godzilla movie. The reason he directed the first Godzilla movie, uh, of the MonsterVerse, I mean, uh, was because of a little movie he did called monsters, uh, which is available on Netflix. I think still, maybe it's been taken down, but the last time I checked, it was still on Netflix. You can check that one out. That's a really good one. Um, and rain of fire, rain of fire. Cause if you like dragon wars and you like just like flashy dragon fights and stuff, dragon, uh, rain of fire with, uh, with Matthew McConaughey and, uh, Christian Bale. Like that's, that's a really fantastic movie. Is it my time already? Yes. Oh god. I have a few more, but I want to hear what you I, I have I, I want to hear what you have to say. I gotcha. Um okay, so I am frantic frantically um trying to think about all the monster kaiju movies I've seen because clearly I've watched a ton. Um clearly I, I should know my stuff and this is very much horrible well, of me to he no, he no. he did give us two. Right he gave us two stipulations. He I, again, I'm saying he because his um, profile picture is a is a male comic book character that he's using as a profile picture. But it, they, Elsie Gatsu, is uh, gave us two uh, two stipulations. They have to be kaiju films that were Western made and obscure. Mm-hmm. So yes, which you know to be fair. That list, the list of Western made kaiju films is already kind of limited. And then obscure is kind of narrowing it down even more. (laughs) So it's like, you know, trying to think of ones was kind of hard. You know, even for me, I did make a list uh, when I was going through this. But but like, yeah, it's like there's there's such because Western Western made monster movies are either huge, big budget movies that everyone knows about. Like I'm going to, Michael's going to hate me for this, but like Jurassic park, um, or they're very minor, small, obscure things like 
slither or or something like that you know they're like there there's one it's one or one extreme or the other that's not really i don't know it's hard to it's hard to name these western made because i know you elijah you can name some japanese films that i've never heard of and you recommend me ones all the time to cover on the podcast yeah yeah i i i really am not too well versed and i'm still frantically scrolling I, I've got a list here, but I wanna I don't want well, to miss one that's Well let me ask you this. Do you have any do you have any opinions on the ones that I that I listed out? Um I, I was going to recommend Monsters. That's a really good one. Um mm-hmm. Love and Monsters, I need to see Tremors. I, I don't know how much I've talked to you, Travis, about Tremors, but Tremors is easily the best kaiju movie ever made in the West, and I will stand on that hill until I die. Um, Troll Hunters was pretty interesting. Um, oh, you didn't recommend it. How could you? What? Yeti, giant of the 20th century. Well, cause that's not, well, yeah, it's, it's Europe. It's, it's Western in the sense that it's European. Cause I was like, it's, it's Italian. <laughs> it's an Italian uh, yeah. film that was supposed to be Canadian, but everyone speaks with an Italian accent. Uh, yeah. Yeti. Okay. Yeti. So we can't forget that, the Yeti. That's number one. Oh, Okay, okay, I got a few, okay. I, I thought uh, of one that I was waiting for you to suggest that you haven't suggested. Okay, I, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. Okay, so the first one I thought of immediately was Cue the Winged Serpent. It's a nice low-budget 80s movie um, with a mm-hmm. stop-motion flying uh, Quetzalcoatl, so would recommend yeah. that one. Yep. Um, the next one I had was Curse of the Demon slash Night of the Demon. It's a uh, it's a British film, um, but the demon is definitely a kaiju. I would I'm going to stand on that hill till I die. It's a great movie as well. Um, it's actually got 100 percent Rotten Tomatoes. It's really well made. Highly recommend. Um, if you're looking for stuff like dragon wars which for me is like insanity that is crazy with a plot that is like no other um srs cinema uh in the this year actually released a film called zilla foot um which it's 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 a film with a plot that makes no sense um you might want to check that one out uh, I've got 2016's Colossal, which is a really well-made uh, Canadian uh, kaiju film. Um, mm-hmm. Then I've got The Legend of Galgameth, a remake of Pogasari from the 90s. Um, oh, God, that movie. That's a fun one. Oh, It's man, fun. Uh, and then I've got Full Moon Entertainment's uh, Kaiju Duology, Zarkor the Invader, and Krah the Sea Monster. Oh, so man. that was my list. Um, I'm surprised you didn't include Reptilian. That is South Korean. Oh, that's right. It is. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was it was producing. Well, that that one is kind of like Dragon Wars in the sense of it's it's South Korean, but also with a with a lot of American studio input. <laughs> this is very true. There's it's just I, I just 
thinking of Craw and and Zarkor. It's just, uh, no, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to um, think if there's any more that there's a can, there's a 2000 oh. or was it was it. 1999 or 2000 i think movie it might have been even before that uh called deep rising uh which is an yeah yeah action movie that also involves a giant octopus thing uh that one's fun uh, attack the block is also a a pretty good uh western monster movie it, it's not really kaiju it's more in like alien sci-fi stuff but it but it does have monsters in it so that's a good one um i mentioned slither slither is uh is um uh yeah james gunn that's it i was trying to think of what his name was oh i need to see that movie i need that one is fun that is a fun movie it is a it is a horror comedy that is Uh really fun it is a lot of fun um the there's a couple of movie there's some movies by guillermo del toro uh, Guillermo del Toro, before he did Hellboy and all those other movies that he's more famous for, he did Mimic in the 90s, which is about a giant roach type monster that is attacking and killing people in New York City. Uh, and that is a very fun movie. I love watching those movies. Um, very dated, but still fun uh so i love those and yeah that that's that's pretty much my list of what i what i had but uh but yeah if you if you haven't checked out mimic uh it's really fun to go and watch that knowing that i mean guillermo del toro was already kind of an established director it wasn't his first you know movie that he directed but to see how much he's evolved from that film to what he's doing nowadays is is just it's really crazy yeah oh is eight legged freaks obscure would you consider that obscure um yeah i would consider that obscure it was it's obscure enough the eight legged eight legged freaks yeah that's a good one that's 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 a fun comedic homage to the 50s b movie mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh so there you go, LC Gatsu. Hopefully we gave you some good recommendations. Um, and yeah, we might uh, keep listening to the podcast. We'll probably cover a lot of these movies that we talked about, uh, the ones that we haven't already covered. And we'll probably come up with some more as we go about, you know, each week I'll probably be like, oh yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm, I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to be like, oh, I should have remembered that one. I should I have thought about Komodo from the 90s. Oh, God. Anaconda. <laughs> I almost said Croczilla, but... Uh, yeah. I, I, I wanted I, to stay away from the that stuff. Yeah, I, that's that was me, too. I kind of stayed away from the intentionally bad ones because I don't enjoy those that much. Um, I've heard Velocipaster is really fun despite the fact that it's ridiculous and dumb. Um, but just, yeah, oh. I, I'm just, those Those are not the type of movies I enjoy, so I didn't recommend those. <laughs> I got one more. Um, so it's okay. a Loch Ness Monster movie, and the CGI is awful. It's garbage. But Beneath Loch Ness, I remember ah. really enjoying... I saw that back in the day when it, when it came on, uh, when it came out. Would you recommend that one? 
Yes, yes, definitely. Absolutely. Good, 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 good. Good. It's one of the few one of the yeah. few Loch Ness monster movies where it's actually a like vicious monster trying to actually eat people. Because most of the time when I've when you see Loch Ness monster or lake monster movies, they tend to be kind of like friendly, misunderstood monsters who are, you know, just trying to live their life and it's the humans that are the danger to them. But like beneath Loch mm-hmm. Ness is one of the few like lake monster movies where it's like, no, this monster is actually trying to kill us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that's it for the the mailbag. Again, if you want to send us a letter or tweet, do that kaijuweekly at gmail.com or at kaijuweekly on Twitter, and we will read it out on the podcast. Please, please continue to send us feedback because we love to hear from you and we love to read it out on the podcast. And so the only other thing to do for this week is to ask the trivia question for next week, which I do not have a trivia question for next week because our schedule has been so screwed up this week or this month that I don't know what movie we're talking about next week. So uh, if I do come up with a trivia question, I will post it onto our Twitter at Kaiju Weekly and you can answer us there, but I don't have it. As of right now, this day of recording. Now, I do have an answer for the question asked at the beginning of this recording. Who is winning, Nathan or I? And the answer Ah. is I am with this episode. It's five to six. Hashtag winning. Hashtag Nathan Marchand is losing. Yeah, that loser Marchand. I'm going to get those trending on Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we just want to say a big thank you to you, Elijah, for coming on the podcast and for being a part of it. Because uh, if you had not come on the podcast this week, we would have missed another week. And we've already missed too many weeks of you know episodes because of me dealing with real life stuff. So having this chance to record was very nice. I'm sure our faithful listeners who love the podcast despite everything that we do to make them not love the podcast. <laughs> uh, it, they, I'm sure they appreciate it. So, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on here, Elijah. Well, thank you for having me. It was, it was good to come back after quite a hiatus and hopefully I can get back to doing my own stuff in the future. Yeah. Well, you're a busy man, so you're, you're a busy preschooler. So, um, uh-huh uh-huh yeah <laughs> oh I, um, I you know i was going to i forgot about it but when i introduced you i was gonna sing uh yeti babies <laughs> <laughs> see i love that i was i was kind of i was like because in the show notes i put baby yeti question mark because like i didn't know what to do and and so <laughs> i was like maybe he's just gonna sing the the muppet babies theme or or the Power Rangers theme with Muppet Babies as the lyrics, but he'll go, replace go, it with Yeti. Baby Yeti. <laughs> go, go, baby Yeti. Ding, 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 ding. Go, go, Yeti, baby. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> okay, okay. 
Thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast and sharing this podcast with your friends. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Kaiju Weekly. All the links to our social media, as well as for the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, are listed in the description of this episode. You can send questions, comments, or answers to our trivia questions to our email, kaijuweekly at gmail.com. A big thank you to everyone who has supported Kaiju Ramen Magazine so far. If you want to find out more about the magazine and get your own copy, your own printed copy, because we still have a few printed copies of issue three left, you can go to kaijuramenmagazine.com and pick them up there. We also want to thank the terrific Taylor Ward, the nonchalant Nathan Marchand, the always tweeting Alex Cornette, the diamond in the rough Damon Noise, and Shijir for supporting us on Patreon. And if you want to help support uh, this podcast and get some nice bonus content from time to time, you can check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Kaiju Weekly Pod. And make sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes because that can also help us out because it can put our podcast in front of other Giant Monster and Tokusatsu fans just like you. And so to close out this episode, I'm going to say help control the space starfish population. Have your baby yetis spayed or neutered. Mighty Morphin Baby Yetis. It's Baby Yeti time. It's Baby Yeti time. Oh, God. <laughs>